0: welcome to the parent advocate podcast i'm your host steven chikumba my pronouns are he him and his and today i'm joined by my as usual amazing co-host and partner in crime lisette Trujillo.
1: hey everyone Lizette here she her ella happy to be with you again
0: Episode 17, Lisette. can you believe it? We just keep putting these episodes in the bank.
1: I'm so excited. 17 is finally here, and I'm so excited for everyone to meet today's special guest, Reverend Louis J. Mitchell.
0: Well, let's not keep them waiting. Welcome once again to the Parent Advocate Podcast. Let's get started. Lisette, what's going on with you? Like... I feel like it's been a while that I haven't talked to you. I feel like I've just not caught up. Catch me up.
1: No, I feel like we just talked like four days ago, but I've you've been busy.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: So maybe, I don't know. Or the weekend's starting to feel like a blur.
0: But <laughs> that what's too.
1: going on with me? Um. So yesterday I ran parent group. It was, I hadn't facilitated in two months someone was filling in for me and it was nice to reconnect with everyone and then afterwards i took a long nap because you know me and peopling <laughs> you gotta, um, gotta get that break in yeah i was like oh take a nap um then daniel turned 16 Woo-hoo! he's excited he's gonna get his permit and we're gonna start the whole like driving situation
0: so you ready for that
1: I mean, no, but also, like, ever since he was little, I've been trying to be in the moment, and so I'm like, you know, Jose's really good at, like, reminding us. Like, last night, we went on a date, Jose and I did, because Daniel wanted to go skateboard downtown, and... So we walked to a restaurant and we saw Daniel and he literally ignored us. So we were nice. like, okay. Nice. Well, we got to keep going cuz he wants to be on his own. So, I don't know. It's those things, you know, where they want to be it. free.
0: Get used to it. So, ever since Hobbs got his license, he's just been just uh like rolling just Going here and there, flitting about. I'm just like, man, that's that's what freedom looks like. That's what independence looks like. So yeah, you want that. You want that. Even though it's a little scary, it's 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 liberating at the same time.
1: It's exciting for them. I remember being 16 and being like, Don't look at me. Um, <laughs> we found a house and we're under contract, so that's kind of exciting. I'll let you know when we close. Thanks. Yes. yes, and it's only like four minutes from where we live right now nice four minutes from our warehouse and um then okay so year a few years ago we were plaintiffs in a birth certificate case and um where we sued the state of arizona because of a surgery like a surgery requirement they have written in a statute for gender marker change and we're no longer plaintiffs daniel got his birth certificate but um on friday uh, a judge ruled to allow the case to move forward as, as a class action.
0: Wow. So that's
1: like really exciting. It's going to impact so, what, so many people's lives if we're able to get a good ruling on this.
0: So, um, so, so let me, let me ask a few questions because yeah, I want people to be familiar with and understand when we talk about things like changing your gender markers on your birth certificate and having a prerequisite of surgery in order for them to do that. Explain for the listeners what that means and how that impacts people who can't afford to go through surgery or can't wait for surgery in order for that to be a met prerequisite.
1: Yeah, there were so many issues, I think, for us personally and, you know, other parents who, you know, motivated us to like really push forward. And, uh, it's that, you know, that level of privacy agency, there's a lot of schools, even though the Supreme court ruled, uh, in like the 1980s, that, um, birth certificates weren't required for in school enrollment. We live in a state along a border. And when I tell you that schools will push back, they do. And so, you know, this became a problem, for example, if Daniel wanted to do club sports, right? Like furnishing a birth certificate every time and outing him. Um, And at this point, this is like pre-puberty. So why does it matter? Right? Like if he wants to do a swim team um, there or like, you know, baseball. And so it just impacted so much of our lives where we were just constantly being outed and our privacy was being violated over and over again. Not only that, but like, you know, There will be people who do not have means in terms of attaining surgery with medical advancements there. If youth are medically affirmed, um, they won't need surgery. So it becomes a problem with, uh, accessing your accurate identity documents and it became a problem for us. And so, you know, the day Daniel got that birth certificate in the mail was really special, And um, I'm grateful to the families who carried the case forward and grateful that it's a class case now because there are thousands of TGNC, transgender nonconforming Arizonans, who deserve to have accurate identity documents.
0: Absolutely. So that's where we are. Yep.
1: Yeah. Let me see. Finally. Okay. So you've met my, my young, like, little favorite humans, Henrietta and Violet. Yep. I don't know if I told you that I took them to get their first set of nails. Nope. <laughs> their parents let me take them to go get nails. So we had a day at the nail salon.
0: Oh my God.
1: And they got nails. And then we, like the following weekend, we went and saw Barbie. So they had like their pink nails. We were like acrylics, you know, we were like, woo. Um, and then we went and saw Barbie and then Henrietta our listeners aren't going to see it but Henrietta she made me this card
0: Oh, that's adorable
1: and it it has a progressive pride flag and it says I love you and then it says dear Lizette thank you so much for buying my nails they are so cool and I love them so much you're super amazing I just love it I've taken so many youth to get their nails done. And it's just like a rite of passage. It is. It really
0: is. And I I love that you took them to get their nails done and then took them to Barbie. Because I think I actually saw a picture of y'all outside of Barbie looking totes adorbs. So good on you. And I know they were like beyond thrilled.
1: When they were like flat, like they kept talking to me and showing me their nails. Like, you know, like (laughs) the beams. (laughs) It was the best time. So, I mean, I've just been living summer. Daniel, I should say back to school started. So Daniel's back in school. Nice. But that's like the run up on my life. What's going on with you?
0: Ooh, I don't know if I could even like hold the candles for your week. Um, So so the biggest thing that happened to me was I had this dust up on the ticker talkers. Because, you know, I have my little ticker talkers, my 21,000 little followers, <laughs> And the other day I posted a video about Neo just talking out his ass about, mm-hmm. you know, trans kids and the parents of trans kids and what he thinks about parents who let their children identify as they see themselves as youth. And, he and let's was just not like,
1: forget, he apologized.
0: But he took back that apology. What? So his, I think his publicist was like, that's not a good look for you, Neo. Let me kick this apology out real quick because it had all the appropriate, you know, I apologize. I didn't know what I was talking about. I need to educate myself. I recognize I could have been, the things that I said were harmful. I need to do a better job and be more sensitive about, that's what the statement was. But then he came back with all his nigritude, with all his ghettoosity. And he was just like, I said what I said, don't put words in my mouth it was my opinion. I can have my opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. I don't have to mince words. I don't care what you think. It's not going to happen in my house. You do you, if you're not my kid, I don't care, but I've said what I, so I was just going back and forth with a whole bunch of these ignoramuses because everybody seems to think that everybody's opinion is valid.
1: No, everybody
0: can have an opinion that part is valid. Every person's opinion, however, is not valid because if you don't know what the fuck you're talking about, just because you put the word opinion before the ignorant shit you say, doesn't make the ignorant shit you say any more valid than before you said opinion. And that's a fact. If a doctor gives me his opinion about my medical diagnosis and the mailman gives me his opinion about my medical diagnosis, whose opinion do you think I'm going to listen to?
1: the doctor
0: the doctor and why is that lisette why would i listen to the doctor
1: because he's the expert
0: because he's the expert and he knows what the fuck he's talking about so when you listen to a whole bunch of people talk about parenting trans kids don't have trans kids aren't parents of trans kids don't know trans kids don't know parents of trans kids offering their opinion on what it is to parent trans kids they can kick rocks because their opinion is meaningless it's meaningless
1: Well, you know that saying, opinions are like...
0: Assholes. Everybody's got one. (laughs) And some people need to keep theirs closed.
1: Here's the thing, though. This is what makes me upset. So um, I did a whole Facebook post one time, and I took the Merriam-Webster Dictionary definition of opinion, which has nothing to do with the biases we carry, right? Like, an opinion is like, I don't like apples. Cool. Cool. You don't want to eat a delicious apple. I'm sorry for you. I hope you like another veg- fruit or veggie. An opinion that is laced with transphobic ideology and bigotry that is not an opinion. That is bias. Bias. And, and I people wish don't that know the we difference. Would, it yeah, and neo should know the difference. And our yet- communities should know the difference. Cause we live that difference of somebody telling us biased things versus an opinion of like, I don't like, the crown molding in your room. Right. I'm just, it's because I'm, I'm no, but staring again, at these, your room. These, uh, but like, well, it's different. I love your crown really molding. Nice. No, 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 no. Fight.
0: Even... Don't let me come to your house and start. No, just kidding, no, just
1: no. It's I, I was like, what am I staring at? Okay. I'm going to say this. I love your crown molding. I didn't mean it. It's just an example. I take it back. Don't be mad. I love your crown molding. I love crown molding. It's solid.
0: <laughs> but I'm saying like, this is what I was dealing with. And said, This is what for multiple days of people just spewing their fucking ignorant opinions at me. And I'm like, you all must realize I could give a flying fuck what any of you think. This is social media. Y'all don't know me. I don't know you. Why you would think your opinion would hold any more weight than it does is beyond me for you to begin engaging this tete -tete online. Like it's not it's not a thing, y'all. Like you think you little trolls with no followers, no likes, no friends are really making opinion, you're like a bot, go away. But it was this kind of thing where we get into this, everybody's opinion, why can't he have his opinion? Because his opinion is dangerous. Because the things that he says are dangerous, people don't seem to connect the dots between hateful, biased rhetoric and the actual harm to people that occurs because of it. It's not just, oh, he can say whatever he wants. He can and then he has to accept the consequences that flow from that behavior. You don't get to and just I, do it without consequences because that's not real.
1: And I also think that this is where using language incorrectly allows her bias to maintain and Absolutely. persist.
0: Absolutely. Right
1: because it's not an opinion. He is he is stating a biased
0: perspective out loud
1: perspective he is stating that he does not believe that transgender people are real that he does not support transgender people and that is that is not an opinion that is a bias that he carries that is that is his truth and his fact and if it were for any other marginalized if if we were speaking like that for on any other marginalized community we would get canceled right like we know what's right and wrong and for someone what's what the right has done so effectively is for is to make it seem like feeling having carrying transphobic bias is valid and real yes that's what the right has done like absolutely the right has made people believe that they can have a bias against transgender people and that it will be okay. Yep. That it's okay to question that. Yep. And so that's what's that is the harm. And I think I'm so sorry I wasn't on TikTok to be like, uh uh
0: nope, it's all good. You know, I am not one to shy away from a battle. And at the end of the day, I'm like, it's TikTok. You're blocked. You're just coming with the same old right wing foolishness. You're blocked. I don't have time for you. You've given me the bump in the algorithm. TikTok thinks I'm an amazing influencer, and so thank you for coming. Bye, bye, trolls. Now, so that but was like
1: it. A an so, example of this too, like just for people listening. Like I don't know if you saw um, Joanne Reed. I follow her on Instagram. She shared a PragerU uh, yes. clip of Columbus.
0: Yes, yes, I saw.
1: And the fuckery on like I slavery, right? Yes. And 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 again, this is this that the Prager the man who started PragerU could very easily say, well, that's my opinion. But now it's being taught in schools, and right. we know that it's wrong. Yes. Right? Like we know that it's wrong. It is deeply wrong. It is disgusting. And I mean, this is why Jose for years would go on YouTube and fight with everyone on PragerU. And now it's being legitimized, like yes. in the Florida school system.
0: Yes, of course, much in like the Florida school Neo's, system.
1: Much like how Neo is, Neo's comments around trans people is being legitimized by these people who are conflating a bi- opinion with bias.
0: Yes. Yes. But you know what? What made my week so much better after that? Cause I was I was deep in that, and it took me a while before I started blocking them and stopped engaging them. But you know what made it so much better for me, Lissette, this week? What? The Montgomery Brawl. <laughs> Where's our folding chairs? The Montgomery Brawl, Lissette. It was like Christmas in August for Black people and Brown people because we saw the Clarion Call of that black hat get <laughs> tossed up in the air. And black people from miles around responded and put a can of whoop ass on those crackers like, in that pontoon like, boat.
1: What's happening? I just started seeing a bunch of memes. And like then when I finally caught up with the story, I was like, oh my God, this is the best shit I've seen it all week.
0: It was amazing. And it's, for me, it started off with the woman on the boat Watching the boy swim to the shore and narrating because that narration made it. It made it for me. I didn't even see all the other angles and all the other shots until much later. It was a look at that boy swim. Look at him swim.
1: <laughs> what I loved most is like you know when the universe just like this like synchronizes itself when when everyone started sharing the memes of like who actually designed the first folding chair
0: yes yes you
1: know and it was an african-american man who like made this folding chair and now it's being used as like
0: you know (laughs) a weapon a liberation device device. come on (laughs) come on and and all of the you know it's funny that you should mention that because all of the layers of significance that were folded into that single event where it happened who it happened to, how it was happening, why it was happening, the implements of destruction that were used to beat down those cracker-ass crackers. I mean, just the caucasity of those people to be in the wrong, first and foremost. You are parked where big ferry boats are supposed to be. They didn't say get the fuck out of here. They said move down, and you're going to start fighting with dude doing his job, and then jump dude doing his oh. You my got like karma photo, was beautiful.
1: My favorite photo was the man on the ground with his Crocs up uh,
0: on his calf. <laughs> he got <laughs> beaten out of his Crocs. Lisette, how significantly, like beaten out of your Crocs? Now you're adding insult to injury because you're being handcuffed, and this is the shot that they're getting of you prone on the ground with your Crocs up on your calves. Looking mm-hmm. like raggedy ragamuffin. Oh, it was it was, I was just I
1: was here for it too. I was like really happy.
0: I'm still here for I it. I will
1: I will say though that Jose, because he spends more time on TikTok than I do, that he was saying that photos came up of the people, and I could be wrong, of the people from that boat who attacked um the dock worker in clan hats. Oh, there,
0: there's no no quite We are talking about Alabama we're talking about the south of course they're clan members of course they're crackers of just ridiculous entitlement like how much entitlement do you have to have to be in a black place among black people being asked by a black worker to move your white ass and then think I'm gonna kick it we're gonna just come on boys Come on, y'all. Let's go. They had that fucking Jason Aldean song in, in their heads going, that little soundtrack, and they think, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. not in a small... Mm-hmm. You got your ass kicked in a small town by a bunch of black people. Try that shit again, you big dummies. Oh, but it brought me such joy. It still brings me joy. I cackle to myself now every time I see one of those videos with a person with a folding chair hitting a heavy bag and doing chair jujitsu, like all that. I'm, I'm for all of it because, yeah... Sometimes white people need to know, like, stay in your lane. Don't don't get, yeah. like, too big for your britches. Because at the end of the day, recognize, globally, you're a minority. And motherfuckers may have not acted like this to date, but recognize, if and when that, that match gets lit, it's your asses. It really is. You can have all of the militias you want. If it comes down to it, sheer numbers, you're done. So stop while you're ahead. Leave people alone. Because everybody is very peaceful, but y'all literally all the projection you're doing about you know race wars that's y'all you know what I'm saying if those Mm -hmm. shits were going to happen they would have been happened because Mm -hmm. y'all been fucking poking the bear for fucking a long time and people have left you alone stop it stop it you're getting old you're getting long of the teeth you can't fight you know what I'm saying so just stop leave us alone
1: yeah 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 Oh so, yes, wow. that, that brought me here joy. For it. it was a win for, yes. st- for oh, everyone. Oh
0: my goodness. Big W's, throw your W's up.
1: I was like, woo, this is so good.
0: Said, I mean, again, I, and I, I'm still here for it because every time I go onto social media, I see a new meme, some new funny ass person coming up with a new thing. I can't even, I can't but even, I, I don't can't think
1: even. I what, what's really significant, and I think it has to speak to the moment, is Is that there's so many viral videos where people are just recording the harms that occur to black people. And it was beautiful. I think at the at you know, at the core of this was seeing community members step in and say, you will not harm this person who's doing their job. Yes. And and I think like I think more and more of us need to take that into consideration and be brave in those moments to step in when we see violence being enacted. And so I just, I was, I, I, I think that that's really at the core what everyone's feeling is like, you know, community stepped in, you know, and said, you will not harm this person who's just doing their job.
0: So there was this one video that someone posted. It was of Malcolm X talking about what it was going to take for like Black liberation to occur. And essentially yeah. he said, and I'm paraphrasing now, That one day, y'all are going to fuck around and find out. And Black Mm -hmm. people are going to wake up and defend each other by default. You won't have to say anything. It's just going to happen. And that Montgomery brawl is that uh, moment he was talking about, where it will just be instantaneous. Because what you said is true. Far too often, we are eyewitness reporters. We're eye reporters. We're turning on our phone, and we're just taking in the macabre and we're not doing anything. We may yell from the periphery, but we're not actively getting involved, which just galls me every single time. But in this instance, you had both the eye reporters who were catching it and the people defending that man who were like, no, enough is enough. You are not gonna take this man down for doing his job. You must be tripping. And they kicked their asses at the same time, so yes love 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 seeing it need to see more of it um but yeah i'm gonna relish this as many people will relish this for a long time okay so last thing last thing so you know taking the kids to nigeria because i'm nigerian my parents are nigerian my children are nigerian and so they have dual citizenship. And I was just like, let's make this formal. Let's get all your passports. So when we go to the country. We don't have to do that, you know, visa foolishness. We could just flash our passports and we're through. So took them to the um, the consulate in New York to get our passports. Now they're doing this thing where you have to get like the biometric scanning, whatever, whatever. So we had to go to this other place to do the biometric scanning. And so it's like this whole thing, you know, thumb, fingers. Left hand, right hand, picture, the whole nine, whatever. And so I do it. Asha does it. Chima does it. Gets to Hobbs, and the shit is just not working. Every time they go to do the thumb fingers, it's just not working. And we said, when I tell you, my sphincter started to tighten because I was just like, "What's happening?" And it's only because it was him. Mm -hmm. Didn't happen with anybody else, and the thing wasn't working for everybody. But it was like there it was something about that transaction that just had me fucked up and i told i was talking to nicole about it afterwards i was like it's just crazy what parents of trans children experience for regular mundane nonsensical doesn't mean anything shit we just have this this anxiety this simmering undercurrent of uh uh-oh just because because again if it was any one of the other ones I'd have been like, whatever, that machine's fucked up because it was him. I was like feeling some kind of way. And and I, and I talked myself off the ledge. I was like, whatever the dude and the dude who was handling, it was just like, whatever, this machine is acting crazy all the time. We'll do somebody else. We'll come back. They took Fuji, came back, did Hobbes. Everything was cool. But during that transaction, even afterwards, I was feeling some kind of way. And it's just like, wow, you know, there's some, some trauma there. There's some, yeah. you know, some trauma. And I I think, I always think, I think I'm handling everything supremely well. I think I'm a super well-adjusted, super in the moment, super conscientious, just accepting life, et cetera, et cetera. And then moments like that happen and you recognize that you're not as good as you think you are sometimes. Like some things st- continue to give you agita and make you nervous and give you the butterflies in your stomach about experiences that you and your child are going to have that you may not fully acknowledge are things that still kind of get to you.
1: And now think about all the times our kids have it in all the time, like all the time, like we just had an experience in proximity. Like when you were sharing that, my stomach turned too, because it happens to us, like Jose and I have protocols, like even at the airport jose goes first daniel goes middle i go last you know like yeah no it's terrifying and they they feel it and they mitigate it and live through that all the time
0: yeah i i had the same thing the last time we went to the airport and i was just like you know they stopped them they were like uh you know we're gonna pat you down i was just like oh what's happening what's happening i don't like this but it's like you know if any other, like when I went with Chima and she went to, to, to Europe and he got stopped and they patted him down. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, I hope you didn't come through with any contraband. But with Hobbes was just, I felt different. And it's just, you know, yeah, that's just the microcosm of what their lives are like. And just the need for people to have empathy for trans people, the need to have empathy for gender nonconforming and, and, and non-binary people who have this whole host of other things they have to deal with day in and day out that no one ever thinks about talks about or acknowledges is a fabric of their everyday. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't have to be, they shouldn't have to grapple with all this extra baggage. It's just not necessary, but you know, this is kind of where we live, but thank you for sharing your similar anxiety because it really was one of those things I've, you know, I don't deal with often and every time I deal with it's like the sensation is new. It's familiar, but it's new and it's unnerving. And yeah.
1: I mean, we just want our kids to be safe. We want them to be, you know, safe in a world that's hostile right now. And I think every one of those moments, it just, it's like a, like a little drop in the bucket of shit we got to
0: deal with later. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, we could talk about the drops in the bucket of shit that we have to do with later all day. But let's get to today's topics and talk about what else is happening in the world. Let's do it. Okay, so this is another one of those things that has me feeling a little bit of glee. So a Catholic couple was denied the opportunity to foster children because they would not support a trans child receiving gender-affirming care if they came out to their parents. They were being interviewed about hypothetical scenarios as part of the vetting process for them to become foster parents. And one of the questions was, if you had a child that came out as transgender, what would you do? And they were talking about, we would pray for the child and we would support them because their body is beautiful and the way they came out is beautiful and they could, they're perfect just as they are. They were like, "Eh, wrong answer. And so this couple sued. The basis of their denial is freedom of religion, which the Supreme Court of the United States just ruled is not discriminatory. And they probably didn't see that coming. They probably didn't see freedom of religion working in reverse.
1: Yeah, no, I mean... It's interesting. And I found what I thought was really interesting too about this is that the couple now is asking for their like anti LGBTQ views to be expunged from their interview <laughs> so that they can try to nope. foster in another place. And it's like, no, like people should know what your values are because bringing a child into your home is like one of the greatest responsibilities you could ever take on. And if you're going to cause harm, they shouldn't be in your home.
0: And that's the thing. The state was trying to qualify this family to be able to take children into their home. So they were like, hey, you know, taking all takers like come come. we're, We're ready for you. But the state said. If you can't support this child the way they're going to need to be supported, should they identify as transgender, gender nonconforming, non-binary, then we can't let you take them. They can't be in your care because they will not get the standard of care that the state expects you to deliver as a foster family to this child.
1: And this is why non-discrimination ordinances that protect trans people are so important because Massachusetts has a statewide one. And so that is why these institutions, these foster care agencies can rigorously look through and decide who are going to be safe parents and who aren't because of those non that are so important and are a patchwork across our country.
0: Yeah. I mean, a federal standard is absolutely like critical But it's it's a ways off because we just have a bunch of just idiot elected octogenarians who are so set in their cracker ass ways that they cannot see, you know, the future past their noses. And it's, you know, it is what it is, but it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate (laughs) for that Catholic couple, though. But, you know, we'll talk about that later. So the University of Michigan, which surveyed 235 transgender people who'd received top surgery, mastectomies, expressed zero regret. The myth of detransitioning and its consequences really starts to crumble in light of these kinds of powerful studies. Now, mind you, this study was conducted on trans patients who received the surgeries 30 years ago. So it directly contradicts this belief that any of these treatments that transgender people transgender youth are receiving are new or experimental or there's not enough data to support the fact that they're safe. They're safe. And this study says that the 235 transgender patients who received surgeries are happy and express no regret with those surgeries.
1: The idea that trans people don't know who they are is so outdated and biased. And it's contradictory to our own lived experience because we have a gender and we have a sexuality It blows my mind every fucking time. I'm just so grateful for this study.
0: It's so crazy because this is not the first study that I've read about this absence of regret. Study after study, and again, there aren't that many of them, but the ones that have been done for the sample size that they've taken have determined that regret is not a thing. You have people who regret their knee surgeries you have people who regret their hip surgeries you have people who regret their back surgeries you have people who regret their facelifts you have people who regret so many other types of surgical procedures that have inherent risk and inherent dangers inherent complications post-surgical etc so many more of those people regret their surgeries than transgender people like less than two percent less than two percent and you have these detransitioners being paraded in front of these states and in front of Congress, as if this is the norm. Those are the exceptions and not the rules. And it's as if every time a single person regrets any sort of medical intervention, that is the example. That should then set the example for everyone else who needs that surgery. It's ridiculous. And yet this is what people do. People talk about child mutilation and, you know, why do you want to castrate kids? I had a person who said, castration cutting off their breasts and cutting off their penises that's not what castration is first and foremost castration refers to the removal of the testicles that's it penis intact breasts ain't got nothing to do with castration but this is what people talk about this is these are the people we're arguing with these are the people that we're having discourse and debate with people who don't even understand what it is that they're talking about are going to tell parents what it is that we should and shouldn't do with our children it's ludicrous
1: and when it comes to commun- from communities of color, from BIPOC communities, like they have to understand that they're just spewing like white
0: yes. rhetoric. It's 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 white supremacy coming out of black and brown mouths.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're the ones who formulated the argument. They're the think tanks who like created, you know, these policies and this quote unquote culture war. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. We're yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We're always on the right yeah, side. Yeah. Another interesting thing that happened as a federal court judge ruled that parents in Ohio do not have the right to challenge a trans inclusive bathroom policy. A case brought by parents of students in the Bethel local school district in November sought to prohibit trans and non-binary students in the region from using toilets and other facilities consistent with their gender identity. But in a ruling issued by judge Michael Newman, he determined that the accusation brought by the group did not pass legal muster to warrant further consideration and threw it out.
1: Good, good. I'll say this again. Everyone deserves access to public accommodations without facing discriminatory restrictions. Bathrooms have been used throughout the history of this country to keep Black and Brown people out of public spaces, and now they want to do it to trans people. Not new, it's old. And that's why it doesn't pass legal muster because it's some outdated. It's ludicrous.
0: And, and it's, you know, the 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 interesting thing that you just said is something that I don't think people really appreciate. Like they don't really appreciate history repeating itself when it comes to some of the arguments being made against trans people. Like they made these arguments against every new immigrant group that came into this country. Like every single time it was like no dogs and no Chinese, no dogs and no Mexicans, no dogs and no blacks. It's literally a playbook that they just pull the page out, erase the marginalized group, insert new marginalized group here, run the play.
1: Yep. Yep. And they hope that w- they, they think we're too dumb to
0: remember. And well, they're then they trying don't to make want us it taught
1: in school. They don't That's want why. it taught in school. That's why. So that we don't remember.
0: And, you know, good luck with that. And one thing, though, that I do have to really, like, stress, because I didn't think about this before. My father was a PhD in history. So my dad taught us everything that he knew from the time we were little on up. And so you're not telling me anything about history, period. You're not going to whitewash any part of history to the Chikumba children because this dude wasn't going to allow it. It just wasn't possible. But most people don't have the benefit of being raised by an academic, a historian at that. And so most people have a very vanilla, whitewashed, superficial understanding of history. People have a superficial understanding of world history, much less American history, history about the, the place that they're from. And so it's very easy for your elected officials, for your, you know, celebrities, for famous people to say something that people just accept at face value without doing any sort of critical investigation or critical thinking or due diligence on their own to figure out whether or not the thing they just heard is true or not. And so you get into these places and spaces and engagements with people who are just saying nonsense and don't know that they're saying nonsense because they've been taught. Nonsense! They've been watching You videos about mm-hmm. slavery, as narrated by the cartoon Christopher Columbus, and they're like, "Oh yeah, slaves had it good." <laughs> the fuck are you talking mm-hmm. about?
1: No, and they know better. They know better. They're just doing the mental gymnastics to so like, uh, I don't know. I, it's like the thing. Like I always, Daniel gets real annoyed with me, but I make him watch like. All these movies about like, you know, liberation leaders. Like, you know, I made him watch Walkout, which was about the Chicano uh, high school walkouts um, of the 60s. Just like all Romero, which was about like, you know, what happened in uh, El Salvador. And, um, you know, like I try my best to keep Daniel aware. And then when he comes home and tells me some of the stuff he's learning in history, I'm like, mm-hmm. We got to talk about that one, but I feel like people don't, they're just, they're not there and, and, and memory and look, we have short memories, but what I'm hoping with this moment is that, and with our platform that we have here and with everyone doing the work that they're trying to do, we can start to connect the dots historically between racial marginalization and what has continued to happen to LGBTQIA people alongside us.
0: Absolutely. Right.
1: Like we've left so many of our people, our children behind in not fighting for them too.
0: And not educating them on their Mm -hmm. real history, not just allowing the schools to be the ones to educate our children, but supplementing that education or creating the foundation for their education based on information that we give to them. Like my children knew how to you know, write their name, knew the alphabet, knew how to count, knew how to do the multiplication table, knew how to do so many things before they got to preschool, before they got to kindergarten, before they got to first grade. And even after they got to those stages, we were still supplementing their 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 knowledge by taking them to the museum, you know, mm-hmm. taking them to different states, just different states and seeing wow. different people in different places and not just allowing their information to be hyper local. Yeah. Giving them a broader worldview so that they could appreciate other people, other cultures, other countries, other cuisine, other languages, other yeah. geographic spaces, and not feel like hide bound and constricted because they never got off their block or they never got out of their city or they never got out of their state.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Libraries, museums, all of those spaces. All of those spaces.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. But we will go on and on. But we got a guest waiting in the wings. So let's get to today's guest, shall we?
1: Let's do it. I feel like we're going to have the best conversation with our guest today.
0: Louis J. Mitchell, Reverend Louis J. Mitchell, is an intentional man, an activist for over three decades, His focus is the fight for health and healing, self-determination and respect, focusing on mental wellness, recovery, and disability access. Known around the country and abroad as an elder, advocate, trainer, teacher, student, minister, parent, and friend, he is a co-founder, former executive director, and current board member of Transfaith, senior pastor and teacher at the Rincon Congregational United Church of Christ, and founder of Mitchell Consulting. Lewis brings his learned experiences, a broad range of resources, theories, and studies to offer a fresh, holistic strategy to the work of individual and community healing, intersectional diversity planning, and commitment to personal and community agency and solvency. Everyone, please welcome Reverend Lewis J. Mitchell to our show. So, Reverend Lewis, let's get right to it. I recently attended my first Black Trans Advocacy Conference, where I spoke on a panel with other parents of Black trans youth. And it was amazing to see really so many Black trans people in one place. And I was moved by the community that convened that weekend. Now, I understand that you are one of the original members of BTech What inspired you and the other founders to create it? And what was the intention behind creating this space for trans folks?
2: So I was not a part of the creation team, In 94 and 95, a bunch of us had a conference in Louisville, Kentucky called the Trans Sisters and Trans Brothers Conference. We were not able to sustain it. And so when Carter and Espy, well, when Carter started uh, Black Trans Men Inc. on Facebook and the group just blew up, out of that Carter created a conference that was specifically Black Trans Men Inc. And then it evolved. And so all the credit goes to the Dallas team and their supporters for sustaining it for 10 years. Um, I was happy to be a part of uh, the first conference. I don't plan on missing one if I'm alive and breathing. Um, and it is, there's still work to be done. We still have work to do on, on our embracing of uh, gender nonconforming and non-binary people. Um, really, really embracing not just, I mean, right now we're using the language but there's a deepening that needs to happen with that. Um, And I think that what is true around the country, and I'm going to try to be concise in this, but it's important, is those people in my generation, for the most part, who were raised in a very narrow, heteronormative, binary way of thinking, are challenged by those that are following us in trans community that are not straight, that are not binary. And we have a lot of growing up to do. And I'm I'm, um, unrelenting because I want us to be leading that charge instead of trailing behind with our ignorance.
1: I appreciate you. It's like our saga convening happening in this moment. Uh.
2: (laughs) And I love BTAC, I'm just such a fan, okay.
1: I mean, the work is necessary. I think the community is necessary. It's so important to be in spaces where you're reflected back to yourself. And so Mm -hmm. I just think it's beautiful. You were recently awarded the I Am Human organization's Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, you and I joke that, like, you're too young to get a Lifetime Achievement Award. And you still will probably do so much more work in the next decades to come. But what was that moment like for you? And what are three important lessons that you've learned in Mm. your journey that you would like to impart to TGNC youth who might be listening? I
2: have to write that down because, you know.
1: Um, so being,
2: being, so I joked that I got the lifetime award because I just didn't die. So they eventually had to do something, uh, you know then they can get me out of the way, scratch me off that to-do list. But, you know, our community is one that is both in constant grief and change and growth. So we don't all die and we don't all die tragic deaths. Um, some of us live. Uh, precariously or gloriously, or both. But getting that award from my peers and from people who I have watched come up in the movement to do amazing, brilliant things was so validating just by my witness. Not because of anything I've done, but being around to watch an entire community seemingly grow up around me from what was sprinkles of various activists regionally and very few nationally. And I think if there were three important lessons I would impart to people who are beginning their trans journey at any age is um, find reasons to laugh. You'll have plenty of reasons to cry. They'll come without you trying, but make sure that merriment and joy is a part of your daily diet. You deserve it and you need it. Get yourself a good bank of joy. Uh, Secondly, get at least one or two people that you can trust to both lift you up and to also poke at your ego when you've just gotten full of shit. Because it's really important. And what's, also, what's true is that in a world where we are also, where we're attacked, but we're also like the nonprofit hula hoop, everybody wants to be trans savvy. Um, people will bullshit you all the time without any care for who you are or what you need. So get you some people around you to help you stay level and truthful to yourself. And third, Find your superpower and stop playing small. You know, the world wants us to think we're small and we're misunderstood and we're blight and we're an abomination. But we have been around since people have been around and we have always been the spiritual intercessors that were meant and created to be at the intersections of all things to guide and to heal and to teach. Remember who you are Seek your ancestors if that's what you need to do to find out, but we are not an aberration. We are the core of all that surrounds us in humanity. Just know that you are born and created by whatever divine being there is to be exactly as amazing as you are.
0: That's deep and you're, you're gonna make me kind of pivot from the question that I was going to ask okay. to something that you just said that I think is really meaningful. So um, Lisette and I were talking um, the other day, just about things that are happening in the world. And the Vanderbilt University Medical Center yeah. recently just turned over the records of their transgender patients to um, a- Attorney General uh, uh, Scrimetti, just because he said he was doing an investigation on fraudulent billing coming out of the hospital. And so somehow he needed the records of just the transgender center. Mm -hmm. But what you said that had me thinking about that was being mindful of when people are essentially paying lip service to their their allyship with you. But when it really comes down to the rubber meeting the road, they're gone. You're just, like you said, the, the, the fundraising hula hoop that they use but they don't really mean it. What, what is that like? Like how do you confront that aspect of being in this particular climate in this particular time in this country, in this world where people say one thing to your face and then when really challenged and pressed to do the right thing, they do not.
2: You know, I'm a black man in the United States. This is not a new phenomenon. So uh, (laughs) I, I I live in a country that has paid lip service to democracy for its entirety and has never practiced a true democracy. And so I I don't even know how to say, I, I don't know how I respond to it. I respond to it like I respond to everything else in life. You know, like I will listen to you and then I will see what you do and then I'll hear what you do when I'm not in the room and then I will assess the level of trust I'm willing to afford you. I may never say a word to you about that level of trust, But for some reason, perhaps because I've been here a long time, people ask me what I think of other people and organizations frequently. And I won't throw anything under the bus because I think that apathy is is just the devil. So if you're doing something, even if I'm not a fan of who you are, I still want you to keep doing that something, but I will not recommend you as someone who I would trust to speak on behalf of the community or behalf of allies. And I will say this, that um, I am really over Um, performative allyship of every kind. Um, I told my congregation when I got here that if they are wearing Black Lives Matters t-shirts and don't actually know any black people, I want them to put that in the drawer for a few years and let us do a little work. Because there's so much that gets gained by performative allyship that doesn't benefit anybody that you're claiming to be an ally of. That's really for you, that helps you sleep at night and not feel like you're a bigoted asshole. It doesn't do anything for me. Puts no coin in my pocket, doesn't make me feel any safer. So I think uh, in terms of transness, it's not a new phenomenon, so it just factors into everything else. And and I I will say this just because I think it's important to be said, the broader LGBTQIA plus community, and I'm gonna say L and G, because B is even more marginalized than T most of the time, but the broader LNG community have not been, have not been allies of the trans community, have not been, historically have not been. And now that marriage equality is a done thing for the moment, now everyone's scrambling for the money with the T, but they don't have the relationships or the trust to do the work properly. And, you know, and Lisette knows this about me. I know that the task force and HRC are trying to do all these amazing things. And let me give a shout out to regional HRC stuff because national, not so much, but regional always has always been doing great stuff. But this is what I'm waiting for. You've not acknowledged that you've been fucked up. I need you to acknowledge the truth of your history. You jump right to uh, apologies you jump right to amends without actually apologizing and acknowledging that you have been racist and transphobic and classist from your inception. And until you tell the truth about that, I don't have any faith in your ability and I don't trust what you're saying. So it's not just the external people, like that thing in Vandy, that's a lawsuit waiting to happen and yay for the lawsuit that's gonna happen. I think that will ultimately benefit us. But the, the religious right and the political right right now are doing the fail, flailing and lashing out that a dying breed does when they know that they're at the end of their time. They will lash out and cut anything that they can reach. Before we had legislative rights, we were survivors. We need to remember what we know. We will, most of us, survive this and they will be gone. It's only a matter of time. We'll keep living and excelling and they'll keep trying to harm people and we will usher them Onto whatever is
1: next in their spiritual worldview, and it's not just the HRCs. I think it's all the orgs, right? Like the nationals for sure. All the national orgs. There's a there's a reality to the fact that, like you know, even I forget it that when we sit in those spaces and we start to feel like some type of way that we've been invited, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're being taken seriously yeah. and I think that that's where you and I t- often talk like it's this or that right like you I mean you and I straddle so many spaces I talk I mean if I could make a Venn diagram um Lewis is in the middle and everyone I know is like connected to Lewis in this Venn diagram right but you you and I talk a lot about how we're straddling these worlds where you need people to be the stop gap in policy And then you need people who are going to be like radical and do that mutual aid work. And, and these national organizations don't know how to embrace that and really listen and give power to the people who are on the ground, like doing this work, this impactful work, my question to you, and you, you actually took the word. So I was like, did see my questions, but your superpower is actually community building. That is your superpower. It's not, it's no surprise to me that you run a church, right? That you are gathering people together. Mm. You love on people and give grace to everyone, myself Mm. included. And you, you build community and you empower people through your kindness. And so What do you, what advice do you have for baby advocates like myself, who you've seen this for decades, what advice do you have for us in like how to continue, how to stay grounded in, in grace, in giving others grace, because we can get impatient and, and what are the keys to community building in the ways that you've been so successful?
2: Okay, let me just first take myself off of this pedestal. Um, I am cranky, jaded and honorary now. And I've earned the right to be so because I'm 60 something years old. I, I, I feel like I'm more of a conduit than a community builder. I, I don't really know much, but I know who does know. And my job is to be available and to try to connect people with great wisdom and energy and passion and brilliance to one another and then get the hell out of the way. Um, and I don't run a church. I am the pastor of a church. The church people run the church. I'm responsible for trying to clear the path that they've decided they want to be on. And so I think in so many ways, um, the one piece of advice I would give you is listen to people like me and then put that in your back pocket and do what you think is best. Like there are new ways of being. I am so grateful to you for being willing to be at the table because I am so not willing to do that anymore. There's always gonna be people that need to fight from the outside, from the inside and in the darkness. It is those components that move us forward. Somebody's gotta be willing to go up and talk to the president. Somebody else has to be marching outside the White House and somebody needs to be in the kitchen going, you know what, we going to fuck up this luncheon right quick. You know what I mean? Like All of those components play a part in um, every kind of march against oppression. You keep. I'm, I am so thrilled and proud and worried for you doing the work you do, because I know that it, 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 it will sharpen your pencil down to the eraser over and over again. So as much as you can keep the light of possibility or righteous anger, whatever motivates you most in front of you, keep doing that. And if you're in one of those other spheres of action, do that but take the time to talk to the people in the other spheres on the down low. So we all know what each other is doing. You know what I mean? Like, Let's go meet at some obscure coffee house somewhere and I'll say, listen, uh, I'm about to blow this shit up. And you can say, can you wait till after three because I got a noon meeting? You know what I mean? Like, we need to coordinate how we're doing the thing so that we're not, um, we're not surprised by each other's activities, but um, we're unrelenting in our assault against oppression. Um, And I have been so gifted with brilliant, 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 heartstrong, amazing people my whole life. I don't have an original idea or thought about much of anything. I've absorbed it from the people around me. I've absorbed it from people shooting dope. I've absorbed it from people who were elected officials and all points in between. What I know is that humanity is precious to me. Even those people who hate me, I believe were created in love and intention by god i think they've misunderstood what their calling is and i pray for them to have a feral moment but i i don't wish them any harm i wish them clarity and not harm i only wish that they had the uh good religion to wish me the same
1: thank you you're welcome
0: speaking of religion yeah. one of the main proponents of the anti-trans movement in the United States is the religious right. Much of the language against trans people is absolutely couched in religion. And as a man of the cloth, how do you reconcile your religious calling, your own spiritual calling with the sustained campaign against trans people under the color of religion?
2: Let me just try this again. I'm a black man in the United States. Using religion as a tool to dehumanize people is not a new phenomenon. Bad theology leads to bad actions. Now, I, I don't wanna be the one to upset people. I'm not, the, I'm not the grandest theologian in the world, but the people who were being spoken to in the Hebrew Bible aren't us. So the Hebrew text that you're using to uh, alienate and disenfranchise and murder people First of all, they weren't talking to you. Second of all, even though you made Jesus blonde, you still can't rewrite the history. But you have to ask yourself will a society, a religious society that actually steals the identity of Christ, can they be trusted to actually do anything biblical that isn't theft and isn't appropriation? So, you know, I mean, I, I was I, I left the church running. Because of uh, the homophobia of the church when I was young. And I got drawn back through recovery and meeting uh, Bishop Yvette Flunder at a political meeting in San Francisco. I had no idea she was a pastor, but when she spoke at this meeting, she said the same things I said, although I cussed out everybody in the room. She didn't do that, but she was just as adamant and passionate, but there was an undercurrent of love in what she said. And I thought, Oh, I need to know how to do that. I want i want what she has. And so I followed her to her church, City of Refuge, in the DeBose Triangle of San Francisco. And as I was walking up to the door, there was this tall, beautiful Black trans woman who was the usher at the door. And I thought, if you will allow this person to be your front-facing person, maybe I can be me in your church. And that's how I got introduced to the United Church of Christ. And that's how I started going back to church. Now, when I meet my friends from high school and younger and they say, Oh, you became a man. I can see that you're a minister. How the fuck did that happen? I'm like, I don't know. But something happened to me while I was wrestling with this call. And I said, God, I'm not going to stop cussing. I'm always going to be me. And you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, a little bit ratchet and quite a bit raunchy and all the things. So I'm not sure I'm the, I'm not sure that I'm the guy you want for this. And in my spirit, the response that I got from divine source was, I need you to go because you'll go where the holy people won't go. You're not afraid of the blood and the shit and the sweat and the mud. You will go to reach the people that they won't touch. That's why you. And I was able to give my full yes. Cause really like being in the pulpit is great. I love that. I love my church. I love the work I do here, but my heart's work is with the people who have been told that God couldn't and doesn't love them. My job is to reassure them that that is a lie. God not only loves you, but God thought so much of you that they made you trans. Like what an incredible calling that is. And just like in the old days when someone was called a shaman, they would weep because they know that's heavy lifting. That's all our call too. We were born to be shamans and intercessors. No wonder we're crying about it. When we accept it with joy, we moved into a spiritual maturity that can't be erased. I don't care how they try or what they do. One caveat though, we can't erase our light when we attempt to shear away parts of who we are to fit into a a, cis-heteronormative rubric that was never meant to contain us. So I don't, I don't find any, you know, I had somebody say to me, uh, okay, so you're trans, you think God made a mistake. And I said, no, no, I think God created me this way. I'm not always happy about it. I wish God had checked in with me first, but that never happens. But I don't think God made a mistake. I think God maybe thought more highly of my gifts than I do. And, you know, as I try to live into, the gifts I've been given, I still struggle. And so what if someone is struggling when they're new in transition or young or has have other intersectionalities that make it difficult? I understand that struggle. I'm still wrestling with stuff. You know, we grow into it as best we can, but I've seen miracles happen too often not to believe in them. And every day I look in the mirror, I'm looking at a miracle. I am coming up on 40 years sober. And 40 years ago, what I wanted to do was die. That was my plan. I was 23. And my plan was to try recovery. And when it failed to kill myself, i had already tried a few other times unsuccessfully. So I know that I'm a miracle. Everything in my life is a miracle. Everything in my life is a miracle. And so I know miracles happen. And I don't doubt them for a moment.
0: You give me all the goosebumps and the chills right now. Super deep. Not what I thought you were going to say, but that's what I loved about this show is that everything is so unpredictable. One of the things that I learned about you when I was doing research that surprised me and kind of gave me kind of goosebumps was that you worked with Angela Davis um, at at the uh, San Francisco State University. And everybody, if you don't know, Angela Davis is an ardent advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, and really one of the most vocal critics of the prison industrial complex, which is like her life's work just to abolish the prison industrial complex. We could have multiple shows just about Angela Davis, but I really wanted to see like, what did your time with her teach you about activism and fighting systems of systemic oppression?
2: So I was a teenager.
0: Because you were you were just a precocious advocate. That's all. Well, that's
2: all. You no, know, no. Then I was a precocious addict, is what I was. But so, you know, I, I am. Um, let me give you the the uh, ish version. I got sober in Los Angeles. I worked in the film industry, which I halfway think is a requirement. If you get sober in LA, you have to do some time in the film industry, and I was not happy. And I decided to go back to school, which I'm forever doing, including this September, I'm returning to school to finally get the bachelor's degree that I started in 1978. I wanted to study and I was gonna study at UT Austin with Barbara Jordan or at San Francisco State with Angela Davis. I chose San Francisco State because I didn't wanna lie about my residency. I had no money. So I went on a game show and I won $35,000 and I moved to San Francisco to study with Angela Davis. My first semester, I couldn't get in her class. The second semester, I got in her class, and at the beginning of the class, she was talking about classes she was taking out to the San Francisco jail system. She was about to start doing that work. And I asked if she needed a teaching assistant. And she said that hadn't occurred to her, but sure. So my friend Tracy and I went out as Angela's teaching assistants at San Francisco County Jail Number 7 in San Bruno. It was interesting. First of all, I hadn't been in a jail since I'd been to jail. So having the keys to get back out again, was uh, it was always a trip, right? Like, oh God, I can come and go, that's crazy. Um, And then working with Angela was really um, eye-opening in a lot of ways. Angela is um, an amazing head and heart and spirit hybrid. But one of the first tensions we had was she brought lots of treats and trinkets and whatnot to the people. And so people were coming to class for the stuff. And I'm like, that's fine, but if you actually want them to pay attention to the class, you might need to rethink this bribe that we have going. And so we worked on that a lot. I ended up being the disciplinarian a lot because she was just squishy and happy and joyous and wonderful. But what happened, not just with Angela, but with the other instructors and the staff that was there, was a deepening of my understanding of the ways in which the prison and jail and other custody, including youth custody, is deeper than we think, and and it, the system is deep and and has octopus-like tentacles that reach into school systems and all those other kind of things. And so, working at County Jail Number Seven, the um, program facility, where The captain, Captain Becky Benoit, who currently lives in Tucson, who I just saw not too long ago, which is awesome. And the teaching staff, we were committed to putting ourselves out of business. Our goal was to end recidivism and to give our students the opportunity to not come back, which meant we had a lot of fighting within the entire system who hated us and what we were doing. So a lot of the deputized staff wanted to move to other places. Some deputized staff wanted to move in and supported what we were doing. But Angela Davis was there. Fanya Davis was there. Harry Edwards was there. Johnny Spain was there. Kathy Sneed was there starting the land to life analogy-based organic horticulture garden. Um, Michael Markham, who uh, is the first, under, the first sheriff in the United States to been called with a felony, which was a big deal because he came out of prison activism while a prisoner and came to be the sheriff, the undersheriff in San Francisco. We had an amazing um, c- collection of brilliant, heartstrong, battle-tested activists. I was a kid. I was soaking up everything I possibly could. Most of it, I didn't even understand for years later. Um, what I learned was that Intellect is not the enemy of being progressive. So coming from the street side, we didn't trust you intellectuals and academics. Y'all were y'all all all studied under the man. You know what I mean? You were brainwashed. We couldn't. And what I learned was that was not the case because I saw this weaving of uh, experiential wisdom and academic wisdom. And I got to have input into how that translated into systems designed to support the students. Um, it was an amazing, phenomenal, life-changing few years. And Angela's you know, still awesome and amazing and she'll always be awesome. And I think Angela has been in the forefront and doing amazing work. And her writings are phenomenal. If you aren't aware of Angela, get all of her stuff and read it all. But her sister, Fanya Davis, the attorney, the quiet in the shadows one, equally brilliant and passionate. And I learned as much from Fanya as I did from, from Angela.
1: You said something really important. And I think that it's something, it, we touched on it earlier when we were talking about the national quality orgs. And maybe this is why we're always like, pissed off is that you and I and many others are okay with dismantling and moving on where national equality orgs are a business that have to keep going, right? And so I'm going to sit on that for a moment because I, there are so many spaces I want to become unnecessary, right? Like to, to reach freedom, we need to rid ourselves of the prison industrial complex. We need public education. To be accessible, we w- we need to come to a space where equality organizations um, maybe just become political lobbies that keep you know politicians in check, and uh, you don't need to advocate at that higher level anymore. We need parent spaces to just become spots where they collect resources and aren't looking to su- feel supported because they're sad or yeah. confused. But you know, there's all these spaces that I'm like, let's get rid of that. And so thank you for reminding us. Thank you for that Unfortunately, in in in, in the
2: land of capitalism, organizations are not anti-capitalist. And so they will continue to create a need for themselves because there's money to be made. Now, the people at the bottom of that need are not usually receiving that money. I mean, what, you get it like a gift card for showing up at some shit or something. I don't know what that's about. But I think part of the core of it is also learning to recognize and value experiential wisdom, equally with academic accomplishment. Um, I think the sweet spot is having both, but the books have not yet been written that can speak to what we know. So to tell me that I am not um, eligible to apply for your leadership position because I don't have a master's degree, tells me that you would really like to have someone who has a master's degree that is really irrelevant to the work that you want them to do, rather than someone who's actually been doing the work at McDonald's and on the corner of Taylor and Turk for the last 15 years, which tells me that you need to work in your systems. Because again, the CDC and all the other things will say, these are the requirements for these jobs. People in those positions need to push back and say, no, That is a requirement, but here are the other requirements that are important to us. So there's all these ways of pushing back interest system to say, no, we're not going for that bullshit. But as long as there's money to be made on the backs of people who are suffering, um, people will not try to eliminate their usefulness. And I cannot think of a time in our history when that hasn't been true.
0: We are at a critical point in this country, and I dare say worldwide, where trans people are literally, literally fighting for their lives. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the future of this fight and what should people be focused on in this moment?
2: We have always been fighting for our lives in modernity. I'm old enough to have been born at a time when we were institutionalized and lobotomized and castrated and all of those things. We're not there currently. There's been some progress. What is true is that we will outlive this battle, no matter how savvy they get with their technology and their bullshit. But there are two things we need to do. We need to be better support for those who are in those three strains of doing the fight that I talked about. People working in the legislative, people working in the streets, people working in the darkness and in the margins. And we need to rally around holding each other in our grief better and stop shaming people. You know, I I, I hear a lot of people shaming people. I I know you're out of time, but I'm gonna say this. You know, a lot of the trans women of color who are murdered, they're blamed for, you know, surprising people. Um, Let me just say bullshit. There are two groups of people that are sought out on sex sites. Fat women and trans women. You knew what you were looking for when you found them. So what you're trying to do is kill the evidence of your shame. Yes. Yes. You're trying to kill the evidence of your fear of your own attraction. Let's stop shaming people who by choice or by necessity are doing sex work. And even more than that, out of insecurity or necessity, meeting in incandescent places because they're afraid no one will love them. And and I wanna speak really about the loneliness. I'm lonely. But when you spend your whole life being told that God doesn't love you, your mama don't love you, your daddy don't love you, nobody loves you, you will go to the gates of hell and insanity to find someone who will hold you and lie to you for one night. Can we stop shaming the human need to be held and to be embraced even if we foolishly seek it? We need to understand that more deeply. And perhaps if we can reach out with our arms and our wallets and our hearts and love on people, sexually or not, I'm not a purist about that, love on people and take away some of that desperation and then buddy up with them and say, okay, you got a hot date, cool. If I don't hear from you at midnight, I'm kicking the fucking door in. You just gotta know, not on my watch. Like we need to buddy up more and we need to stop being afraid to talk about sex, and talk about need and desire, and the effects of lookism on our community, and the effects of sexism on our community. So I know that's a much longer answer than you wanted, but the answer to that question is so multifaceted as to not really fit into into one answer.
0: No, it whatever was whatever it was, is. Was, I'm here for it. It was a perfect answer because, again, you know, I'm always surprised. I don't have an, an expectation. I have an idea, but I have no expectation. And you've you know, exceeded any expectation I could have had as a guest. Um, I am so grateful thank for you. the time that you spent with us. I'm so grateful for the experience that you share with us and just for you being you. So so thank you so much thank for you. joining us on our show. My pleasure. I
1: love you, Louis. Thank you too. always.
2: Hopefully see you soon. Bye, you guys. <laughs>
0: Now it's time for our recurring segment, Allies and Assholes, where we highlight individuals or groups that are supporting the LGBTQIA community on the one hand and call out straight up assholes who are trying to move us all backwards on the other. Lisette, who are we talking about today?
1: Our ally of the week is Skittles. Yay, because I love Yay. Skittles. Me too. Candy brand Skittles is facing backlash after partnering with GLAAD and altering some of its packaging to include Black Trans Lives Matter messaging. Because members of the right are so sensitive when images of Skittles of trans positive messages started appearing on social media, it prompted an outpouring of criticism on Twitter with people upset with woke Skittles marketing similar to their outrage over Dylan Mulvaney being used in Bud Light advertising. But this is the fourth year Skittles has teamed up with GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, to support the LGBTQ community by amplifying and celebrating their stories. In a statement, Skittles Senior Director Justin Hollentaup said, While Pride Month is a time to reflect, self-educate, and celebrate, we know that long-term sustained support and allyship is key to building a more inclusive and diverse society.
0: Lisa. Skittles is demonstrating through their words and actions that the brand is committed to advocating for the LGBTQ plus community.
1: And this is why Skittles is our ally of the week.
0: Okay, congratulations to Skittles. Now on to our asshole of the week. Our asshole of the week is the new College of Florida Education Board. A Florida College Education Board is reportedly set to abolish its gender studies program following a vote by trustees, which would eliminate the courses for majors like biology, sociology, feminist studies, and a whole host of other degree programs. The departures and changes in policies, the departures and changes in policy have left several students in danger of their degrees being affected, making it almost impossible for currently enrolled students to find the classes that will help them move forward with their degrees.
1: I bet you the trans-exclusionary radical feminists didn't see that coming today, did they? Um, Guess their feminism won't be taught in Florida anymore. And this is why I believe in karma.
0: And this is why the Florida College of Education Board is our asshole of the week. Well, that's our show for today, folks. I want to thank today's guest, Lewis Mitchell, for spending time with us today. And of course, I'd like to thank my co-host, Da Bomb, Lissette for rocking with me today and every day.
1: Steven, can I just tell you how often I'm told that our vibe and energy is amazing? I'm so excited we're doing this podcast together. And I also want to thank all of you for listening to the Parent Advocate Podcast.
0: And as usual, please be sure to like, subscribe, follow, and do all the things to stay up to date with everything we're doing here on the Parent Advocate Podcast. Goodbye. If you are thinking about harming yourself, get immediate support. Please reach out to The Trevor Project and connect to a crisis counselor 24-7, 365 days a year, from anywhere in the United States. It is 100% confidential and 100% free. You can get help at thetrevorproject.org. If you'd like to support any of the organizations working actively to support LGBTQ people, please visit the ACLU at action.aclu.org or the human rights campaign at hrc.org.
1: You've been listening to the Parent Advocate podcast. Tune in again for another episode.